We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Abner Maris is a world champion boxer, Olympian, sports commentator, and most importantly, dad to two little girls. Beloved by abuelas and hardcore fans alike, Abner is a pro at entertaining the world both in and out of the ring. On Blue Wire's new podcast, On the Hook with Abner Meris, we'll hear from Abner, his family, fellow athletes, and other people who made him the boxer and the man he is today. They chat about topics like the state of boxing, Abner's journey from a kid on the streets to boxing champ, his American dream, sports, music, culture, and family life, being a husband, and even being a girl dad. Listen to On the Hook with Abner Metis wherever you get your podcasts. Episodes in English out on Tuesdays and episodes in Spanish out on Wednesdays. Blue Wire. Welcome back. This is the Big Blue Banter New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier, joined as always by my co-host Nick Filato. Today we're here to give our quick reaction, quick takeaways recap of the Giants' 20-19 victory over the Washington football team, leading both teams to 1-5. and uh, the Giants are now got their first win of the season, but also their first divisional win of the season, which could come into play if the Giants become a different team than they showed this season and even today, as I'll get into shortly. Uh, I'm not too enthused by this win, unfortunately, and I know some people are not going to be happy to hear that. Everybody wants the positivity. Everybody hates the negativity, but I'm just going to call it like it is. That's how I've always done this. That's how I always will do this thing. Um, so why don't we get a different perspective, Nick? Did you feel any differently about this win? And I'm not going to say it was all negative for me. So let me just hear your overall takeaways from this W. It's hard to come across wins in the NFL, Dan. It really is. I'm glad Joe Judge got his first win. But yes, the offense 
still does not look stellar by any means. I thought the defense played well. I thought the defense stepped up when they needed to, and that's what you have to do in order to win football games. Yes, there were some third downs, there were some fourth downs that they gave up, but I'm not going to belittle or besmirch the defense for that. I thought the team got their first win, Joe Judge era, and that's excellent to me. I think that's excellent for the locker room. I think we can all accept that this team isn't the most talented football team, but (laughs) they're not as bad as the Jets, but they're not the most talented football team. I feel good about this win. I do. I don't feel great about the team necessarily, about how the offense played, but in order just to just to get a win in the Joe Judge era, get that monkey off of his back, off this coaching staff's back, there's something to be said for that. It's huge for Daniel Jones, our second-year quarterback as well. So yes, I'm I'm glad this team won. I'm happy for the Giants that they got the win, that they don't have to deal with another losing game locker room for a six-straight week to go to 0-6. Mm-hmm. I'm happy for Judge to get the win. Only thing I'll say that is a bit different from your take, so we're pretty spot-on in that regard. The only thing I'll say is I have heard the, the locker room... Uh, narrative, I guess you can call it, line, whatever it is. We're starting to build a culture, starting to get wins. It's starting to be good for the locker room. I've heard it too many times now with this team um, over the last two years, for over, especially the first year of the Shermer era. I heard it a lot there. And when they went on a little bit of run after the bye week, I heard it a lot there. And it didn't really build or lead towards anything in 2019. It actually all collapsed in 2019, a short two-year span for that Pat Shermer, uh, James Betcher coached regime. Um, so I'm not going to get excited by that. I'm not going to believe into that. I'm not going to really buy into that. To me, this roster still requires an incredible amount of turnover, an incredible amount of development to become a competitive roster. I really look up and down this roster across the NFL, and, and it, it almost stuns me how poor of a job Dave Gettleman's done in three years. It's it's stunning when you look at it. But in this game, I mean, you can say what you said is correct. I mean, the, the coaching on defense is good. I know the Red, I know the Washington football team. Did a better job than the Giants with time of possession. I know they had almost a hundred or more than a hundred yards more of total offense, or just under a hundred yards. They were three thirty-seven. Giants were two forty. But a lot of that was because the Redskins had sixty-nine plays on offense, and the Giants only had forty-six. So on a per-play basis, they weren't necessarily more efficient than the Giants by any means. So I really thought. Graham did an excellent job there, especially again with what he's working with on the defensive side of the ball. Keep that in mind. That's super important. And I think he dialed up some really good play calls. The play call that Fackrell uh, looped in and got the sack on that forced the fumble that Tate Crowder scooped and scored on, that's a great play call. And there were a lot of third downs I thought he did an excellent job fooling the Washington football team on. But ultimately, Nick, in the end, they won this game because they didn't make the stupid mistakes they had been making the other side. They weren't the team that had the forced fumble return for the touchdown. You know, they weren't the team that couldn't convert the two-point conversion at the end. But they were the team that did allow the Washington football team to drive down all the way to the field and score um, and then obviously have that opportunity. So that wasn't a great final possession. There's a lot of other things. I mean, the interception thrown by Jones, I st- me and you are just stunned that was called an interception. It's, it's a stunning It's a stunning uh, play stands. It's a stunning upheld by the committee. I looked at that play five to ten times. I don't see it any way how they could call that an interception. He obviously hits the white before any other body part hits anything else. Wasn't There was no knee. It wasn't yeah. anything like that. And that was on a first down. Yeah. Now that's and, and so like when you factor that in, it's like, okay, so maybe they could have won by even more. Maybe it wouldn't have ultimately come down to that. And especially when you factor in they were up thirteen three when they had that stupid special teams penalty on a fourth and nine punt that allowed Washington to go for it on fourth and four, later cutting it to thirteen ten before half. Really it felt like I I told you this during the game, it really felt to me like 
how the heck are the Giants only... I, I think I said it when they were up three at one point. I was like, how the heck are the Giants only up three at this point? Or whatever it was. It, it's like, they this game, they should have completely... In my opinion, they should have completely blown out the Washington football team based on the flow of the game, which is kind of what gives me pause, I guess I should say. I have some issues I want to get into with the coaching. We can start there if you want to, or we can start with some other things like the good. I mean, the good is the Giants have some seriously quality players. James Bradbury is performing like a number one cornerback in the NFL for any team and probably a top three cornerback or two or one really in the NFL right now I mean he had the interception which is an awesome awareness play he almost made another acrobatic interception he didn't really match up or shadow Terry McLaurin the way they played this game which is fine and he didn't really give many big plays and covered so I really feel like the Giants landed like an all time maybe like a Plaxburis Antonio Pierce type of free agent signing there Absolutely, and you can't disregard Blake Martinez either, who was all over the field. He got dinged up in this game, was able to kind of go out there, and the grit of this team is just amazing, really, with the amount of guys who were injured playing in this game with Dexter Lawrence, Darius Slayton, Blake Martinez. They were all dinged up, and they were all able to kind of gut it out and get this win, and I want to kind of touch on something you said a little while ago about the, the culture. See, I have to disagree just because this Giants team, this is a new head coach. I think that this kind of stuff is cyclical. And I do believe culture is a big part of that. And I do believe establishing that culture with this young team, because we don't know the future of the New York Giants. It doesn't seem like Dave Gettleman is going to be the general manager next year, which will bring in somebody else, but it might be someone in-house. And if it is someone in-house, Joe Judge and Daniel Jones could be a part of the long-term plans, depending on where the Giants draft. So I do believe these wins are very, very valuable to the culture of the team. And I know we've heard that with McAdoo, and we've heard that with Pat Shermer. But again, this kind of stuff is cyclical. And this is a new coach. And I don't believe Joe Judge is going to be a two-and-done kind of coach. I think the Giants going to kind of give him his due. And what we've seen from Patrick Graham has been encouraging enough for me to say, okay, I think we have a, something really special there on the defensive side. Jason Garrett's a little bit more debatable. I do believe that these kinds of wins like this within the division are important, especially on a short week where the Giants got to turn around quickly, a banged-up Giants team have to turn around quickly, go to Philadelphia and play a beatable team in the Philadelphia Eagles. Yeah, I'm not trying to take away anything from the win or say that it's definitely not possible, so I don't think we disagree there. I'm just saying I'm a little more skeptical of it because I bought into this narrative before, the Pat Shermer year, his first year when they were terrible at the beginning of the Shermer era, and then flipped it around in that second half and beat a bunch of bad teams like the Washington football team is. I mean, we have to keep into perspective here. This this was a 1-4 Washington football team. This was not a win over a 3-2 team. And in the same sense, this wasn't even like a 35-point win over the Washington football team. They had that the Shermer year. If you remember, they went into Washington in that second half and totally just destroyed and demolished that Washington football team with Eli, with Barkley, with the first, you know, with that Pat Shermer team coming into its own. And so this wasn't that by any means. And I am a little skeptical to get too excited about Joe Judge's future with this franchise because I do believe that coaching played into the reason why this was a one-point win for the Giants that came ultimately down to the Washington football team failing to convert on a two-point version and making a really stupid decision, not a stupid decision, but having a really terrible play by Kyle Allen to hold that football, to lose that football, then it bounced right into Tay Crowder's hands. He didn't didn't fully, you know, grasp it at first, but it kind of hit off and then took a really nice bounce in stride, and then he's able to return that into a touchdown. To me, ultimately, this is a game, like I said, that they should have won by more. Why do I not think they won by more? For a multitude of reasons. It starts with the most important for me, 
and it's Jason Garrett's offense. I have no interest in this offense long term. I don't think this is a fixable problem with Jason Garrett. I think this is his nature. I think this is who he is. I think if you go back and look at his play calling in Dallas, yes, they had some top offenses at the end of the year, top 10 offenses by total rankings and yards. They also had Tony Romo, who might be the most underrated quarterback in the last decade. And I'll say that, and I know some Giants fans will hate to hear that, and only point to the interceptions, but you watch him play, and he's pretty much Russell Wilson out there, but turns the ball over a little bit too much. Um, Anyway, that team not only had Romo, but a lot of talent around Romo. So if you look at why he lost the play calling duties in Dallas and the upgrade they and they made from an efficiency and more importantly from a point scoring and chunk yardage play standpoint once they went to Kellen Moore it makes a lot of sense that Jason Garrett's philosophy is just broken and unfortunately Nick it's how I feel there was a funny play today that I had Bobby Skinner put up on Twitter the routes I called it at the time and I know it was a first down it was a third and one where they threw right at the sticks to Caden Smith a few plays later Jones turned the ball over Unfortunately for me, I think he's stuck in the mindset of you can really win football games by getting on these 15-play, 9-minute drives and controlling the clock and slowing down the game, limiting the game, a little Bill Belichick, a little Parcells-type ball. And I'm not saying it would never work. It would, it could work if you have an amazing defense and a really good red zone offense. The Giants don't really have either of the two right now. So with that in mind, I would have hoped that he adjusted. And I really believe that Daniel Jones is the type of quarterback that can make plays down the field. You saw it today when the when the Washington football team blitzed and he tr- threw that perfect ball over the top to Darius Slayton. And I want to get into Jones because I really thought I was really came away happy with what I saw from Jones today, especially considering what you mentioned before, the limited Darius Slayton, who is obviously playing through an injury that the Giants can't afford. And continuous bad play from that left tackle position. Uh, we saw not as many, but a few pretty bad reps there. Um, so again though for me it really boils down to that and we'll get into judge in a second but I do want to get your take on that do you see hope long term with Garrett I think what a lot of people on Twitter are overlooking and I don't want to come off as a Garrett apologist but I feel like a lot of people are overlooking just the state of what this Giants offense has to deal with right now with the lack of talent at the skill position players and this offensive line that you have a fourth overall pick that's not living up to it at all. Matt Parrott actually looked a lot better than he did. You have Cam Fleming, who's replacement level at best in an interior offensive line. Well, you have Zeitler, who's who's good, I would say. Will Hernandez, solid-ish. Nick Gates, solid to below average. And then you have Daniel Jones, a second-year quarterback in this new system. I believe the pressure, we, we've all talked about how much pressure Jones is under. There's a reason why this game plan was so much more conservative and it was to make sure that Jones wasn't put into those positions. That's what I feel. I feel like Jason Garrett is doing the best with what he has. And yes, there are times where he runs the football and I'm like, come on, let's be a little bit more creative in that kind of situation. And I do agree with you and you and I talk about that. But I do believe like from a holistic perspective, they're designing this game plan around the deficiencies that this Giants offense have. And on that one play that Bobby put up, I disagree with you guys in the sense that I think that was a good play. It was man coverage. Caden Smith was an H-back. It was obvious man coverage, and the guy covering Caden Smith was about six yards off of him. Golden Tate was a number one receiver to the boundary. He initiates contact with the defender over the top of him, goes at his inside shoulder, drives him upfield, creating that traffic for Caden Smith. Got the first down, and it looked sloppy on the back end, but what happened on the back end was just Austin Mack running the wrong route. Austin Mack was supposed to run three-yard, four-yard slant in to create traffic on the number two receivers guy in man coverage. He did not, and he was probably supposed to mosh, go over the top of that mesh point, 
and he just did not get the memo because he's an undrafted rookie. So I actually, and I understand, like, you want them to kind of go for more, right? You want them to go for bigger shot plays, but they're just trying to kind of sustain that drive. And I know that's an issue, but I do feel like a lot of this is just a byproduct of this crappy Giants offense. Yeah, so there's a few things to unpack there, Nick. I think that I'll start by saying I think you're 100% valid that this could be a major factor or, you know, a much bigger factor than even I am willing to give credit for, that the offensive line is just simply not ready to have a a high-functioning offense. But I think ultimately to unpack this, I'll start from the 30,000-foot view, which is I don't think that philosophy could ever work. And you saw it on the second. I think his whole offense is designed to get first downs, and I don't think that's how you win in the NFL, regardless of what you have on the offensive line. If you need to, you need to max protect, I believe, to to, to combat that. Or you need to have combo routes where you're getting rid of the football quickly, but it's a quick slot for it or something like that. And I know they've tried it at times, but then you also see second and ones where they run the ball and then they run it on third and one again instead of taking the shot on second and one. And I think when it comes to more specific, taking it down from that 30,000 foot view and unpacking just that play that me and Bobby were talking about on Twitter, it's not the play that we have an issue with. It's a good play to beat, to get that yard, to get that first down. It's the consistency of what happens when they're in those short situations it's always he's always looking to hit the sticks he's never looking for shots and if you watch Russell Wilson play this year a lot of those big touchdowns that he's had have actually been on third and short situations when he go when he sees the one-on-one and he takes the one-on-one and Daniel Jones is a quarterback who on that play the first touchdown pass to Darius Slayton a beautifully thrown football Beautiful. under pressure and that just goes to show one of the most important things that people never talk about with Jones you want to see traits that make you excited about him potentially long term it's that you really can't blitz Daniel Jones. Teams don't blitz Daniel Jones like you would think. Remember that Bucks game when they tried blitzing Jones all game? <laughs> it didn't work. Jones is actually a really good quarterback under pressure because he sees it better and because he sees those one-on-ones and he's willing to take the chance on one-on-ones and he has really good touch over the top on one-on-ones without safety help when teams aren't playing that cover two shell with those two deep safeties. And so I just believe that if you started to open this thing up a little bit more, I know you'd probably have to use more max protect. I know you'd get some bad sacks and it would look ugly at times I understand that but if you opened it up a little bit more and took those chances a little more more often on second and short and third and short it would lead to a different style of defense that teams can play the Giants and it ultimately would lead to a more effective offense and an offense that has more chunk yardage plays and ultimately an offense that puts more sevens on the board and less threes but before we continue let's take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsors Even though sports had a break, your business didn't. You have to keep moving, and that makes hiring more important than ever. Indeed is here to help. Indeed.com is the number one job site in the world because Indeed gets you the best people fast. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need. You can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. Plus, Indeed provides powerful tools to make your search that much easier, like sponsored jobs, which are shown to be three and a half times more likely to result in a hire. With 73% of online job seekers visiting Indeed each month, Indeed is going to get you the important hire you need, just like they have for over 3 million businesses. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free 
$75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates you will see fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire, all one word. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire, all one word. Terms and conditions apply. Offer valid through December 31st. Thanks to a lack of natural athleticism or commitment or overbearing sports parents, fewer than 1% of 1% of 1% of people will ever play professional football. But instead of entering the NFL, they've joined another league, the League of Football Watchers. This football season will be different, and Pepsi is here to get you ready for game day, no matter how you watch. I don't know about you guys or gals, I love to sit there and drink some Pepsi when I watch the New York Giants possibly win a football game. It's all great. If you got yard work to do, ah, oh, quenches your thirst. Amazing stuff. Pepsi is the refreshment you need to power through any game day because Pepsi isn't made for those who play the game. It's made for those who watch it. Pepsi, made for football watchers. In theory, that would work. But I do feel like certain times this season where they've tried to do that, it's resulted in Daniel Jones mm-hmm. finding his way on his ass. Yeah. And that's, that's the big issue. It all comes down to this offensive line, specifically the tackle positions. I would love for that. I would love for them to be a little bit more aggressive. My thing is I don't think they have the personnel to do so. Like In terms of Russell Wilson, obviously Daniel Jones, Russell Wilson, there's no comparison there. But the weapons he has, DK Metcalf, mm-hmm. Tyler Lockett, we're talking about the best weapon Daniel Jones had out there was a hobbled Darius mm. Slayton, who was a second-year player who was a fifth-round pick. And I love Darius Slayton, but that's your best weapon by far out there. I mean, Evan Ingram's Evan Ingram, and we still don't really know what the hell is going on with him. Oh, it looked so good at first. They had a play <laughs> yeah. design for him. I loved it. It was awesome. They used him on something other than a curl. And then what the hell happened the rest of the game? He had one more reception. It's like... It's bonkers to me, their misusage of Evan Ingram. And you know what? I know he's not as good of a player as his talent suggests, as Mm -hmm. his first-round pedigree suggests. Me and Nick watched the film. We've watched enough of Ingram to see he's not a great route runner. And unfortunately, he simply isn't the prospect Jerry Reese thought he would be. But when you watch the play like he had on that first snap of the game, you realize there are other ways to use him. And he does have a skill set that's being untapped. Because that play doesn't happen if he doesn't have that skill set. And when you use him more like that, it opens everything up. And he makes bigger plays because he has more opportunities to make bigger plays. But again, it just didn't happen the rest of the game. Mismatch nightmare is what we've always heard about Evan Ingram, especially when teams run man coverage out there. And you want to use it in the vertical game. But that also goes back to maybe they're not throwing the vertical seam as much because they can't protect the quarterback the issue for me on that whole thing though is they didn't really protect the quarterback all that well last year and they threw all the verts last year Hmm. and it just felt like they had that half that had that simple Shermer system it was half half field reads and it was just the high low stuff and that really seemed to work pretty well for Jones yeah high low stuff I mean we've seen that in Jason Garrett's system as seen well. some of it yeah. it's just not consistent. It's a much it's a much more conservative system yeah. by, by nature I, I would agree I also think that is like I alluded to before because of everything going on with the New York Giants offensive line situation. but would you say the offensive line is considerably worse than last year I would say I, w- I would say it's worse 
Consider okay, okay. I would say it's worse. I don't know about considerably because Nate Solder was really bad last year. Yeah, no, so Nate Solder was really bad. Andrew so Thomas. was Andrew Thomas. We yeah. had that. We had the discussion just, earlier. Yeah, exactly. Nate, Nick actually, you you made the point earlier about uh, Thomas potentially having a worse start to the year than Solder had last year. I agree with that. Yeah. That no, that yeah. yeah. I, I'm iffy about that because I know Solder had a lot of like really bad play, and I just can't really fully remember back to Solder. We touched on this yeah. in the last podcast, but I think Daniel Jones's maturity and his ability to get out of the pocket has helped him this season, whereas. Yeah. Last year, and I still think he could work on that. Which game was it specifically where it really kind of showed its ugly head? It might have been against the Rams, where we we're like, "Oh, Jones, you got to get out of the pocket. You got to get rid of the football. Your internal yeah. clock." There was like one of the games this year where we kept kind of harping on that on the podcast. I think it was Bears potentially. Maybe it was the Bears game, but that's a tough out- defense. Outside of that, he's done a much better job. And I think that's the big difference to why Daniel Jones extends plays and why they're able to move the sticks sometimes yeah. because of his ability to extend plays with his legs. I completely agree with you. I completely very, agree very with you. Under- his offense to me is only moving because of Jones. Oh, very underrated part of his game is his ability. Like even simple there's things nothing like— on this, There's nothing going right with this offense right no, now besides right. Darius Slayton and Daniel Jones. That's the only, and occasionally Devontae Freeman gives you a nice play. Occasionally. You know what? Freeman looks better I than I expected. Occasionally he gives lie. you a really nice cut, and he gives you a really nice play. Besides occasional Freeman nice cuts, Darius Slayton, and mostly Daniel Jones, this offense, and in my opinion, I, I know, you know, I'm maybe too harsh on this, but I think the system is not giving, doing Daniel Jones or this offense any favors. So really, it's kind of all Jones, and that's kind of what makes me a little excited there. I want to talk a little more Jones, but I first don't want to get off the point of where you originally where we originally started with this mm-hmm. and I want to pack it fully and it's that you see or you're confident I don't know if you should, I should say the word confident you you think that Joe Judge is not a potential two and done and I'm not and so before I I want to preface this by saying this so no one puts these words in my mouth or thinks I mean this because everybody whenever you know it's funny I post some stuff about Andrew Thomas on Twitter struggling literally just pointing out his play through six weeks that both Nick and I have both said was poor and everyone's like you're calling him a bust you're saying he has no chance like that's not at all what you're saying you're literally just pointing out his play so far and it has been very bad and that's analysis it's literally the definition of analysis I want to make this clear I'm not saying I think Joe Judge should be a one-and-done coach, or I'm sorry, a two-and-done coach. I don't think he will be. I like some things about him, but I have some serious concerns about Joe Judge, and it boils down to his conservatism in-game. That's my number one issue with with Judge, and unfortunately for me, I think it's a very important and big issue for an NFL head coach. I'll start with the most troubling call of the game for me. It was a combination of plays. It's third and one at the Washington 37, and they line up Heavy, tight personnel, always a disaster for the most part, especially if you're a team that can't run block well. Even if you are, it's very hard to convert in these situations. You're tipping your hand, and then you're doing exactly what you're tipping. The play obviously doesn't work. I mean, there's one receiver out there. They have a fullback in. Washington gets the penetration, and the Giants lose a yard. Now it's at the Washington 38 on fourth and two. My question, not my question, my thought here, is that if you're going to go like this on third and one and pack the formation in and run it right up the middle like that with a behind a fullback and it doesn't work, you better sure as hell have had a fourth and short play planned. You better sure as hell not decide that from the 38-yard line for a kicker who, by the way, has made 55s this year and an offense that, in my opinion, has done pretty well passing the ball on third and, and fourth and short situations. That's where Jones at his best because teams mostly counter that with man coverage, and Jones does a really good job of drifting in the pocket to find the man or running or doing different things to get those first downs. 
But what does he do? He punts the football and gets 20 yards of field position here. It goes to the Washington 18. I don't care if that punt goes to the 10 sometimes or the 5 sometimes. It's too risky. There's going to be a chance of it a touchback or being a punt around. There's going to be a chance of you getting somewhere between the 20 he got and the 25 yards of field position. And that is never, never worth uh the the upside of the fourth and two the fourth and two should be converted at a very high rate and even though i agree this offense doesn't have any talent on the as talent but they're not playing well on the offense line doesn't have much talent left on receiver i get it i get it i get it but daniel jones has done pretty well in these situations the giants were seven of 11 on third downs this game and those weren't third and twos this would have been a fourth and two this, those weren't uh you know down in distance two yards to go situations some of those were longer and jones completed them and so you got to have some faith in Jones, someone who's proven he can do it, to get those two yards, to keep the drive going, to keep the clock moving, to get into scoring range for at worst a field goal. And to me, it's, it's, it's a horrendous decision. But unfortunately for me, Nick, it's not the first. He's made these throughout the games. He did it against the Steelers. I feel like it, for, the problem for me, Nick, is that it kind of compounds on itself with Garrett's philosophy of always getting to the sticks and always getting that first down and ideally getting those 15 play long drives, assuming that you can always get into the red zone and then convert in the red zone from seven instead of three. And it kind of builds on that. And we're seeing a lot of these type of games where the Giants win this game by a point where they could have easily lost. They had a Rams game where I felt like they played a really good game. But ultimately, they made that punt in Rams territory and Cooper Cup had the long touch on the break open the game. Steelers, very similar situation. They kind of started to flip things. They went on that long drive, 15 plays, nine minutes. Jones threw the red zone interception. That's all thrown out the window. Bear, there's you could look at every game the Giants have played this season and they've all been this style. And I think this is the style Judge wants. And I have more hope in that regard that it's because of what you were talking about before when it comes to Garrett. It's because he just looks it down, up and down this roster and, you know, thinks this is his best chance to win a football game straight up. But ultimately, I think this is coaching. I think you're coaching in this situation not to lose. And when you coach not to lose, I agree entirely with what Ron Rivera said after the game. He wants to teach his team to coach, to play games, to win. That's why he went for that uh, that two-point conversion. That's why he said he went for the, both of those fourth-down conversions, both of which they completed first, the fourth and four, after he got the momentum from the penalty on the punt. That's an unreal call by Rivera there. Just an unreal call. It's 13-3, almost the end of the first half. If he just punts that again after it goes to fourth and four, instead of the fourth and nine and that's all the momentum back to the Giants he says I have an opportunity to grab momentum and he takes it and instead he gets it to 13-10 before half and gives his team a chance to win the game ultimately I think that's how you should always be coaching and if this becomes a consistent thing with Judge I'm not sure I'm sold on that long term also the fact that Ron Rivera pinned the Giants at the one yard line with that punt and still elected to go for it now I know what you're saying and I'm not freaking out about Judge, nor do I think you are. No. I think he's he's kind of figuring out his way as a head coach. I mean, this was his sixth game as a head coach on a team that's not that great. In that specific situation, I would have liked to see probably a field goal attempt, but the caveat, me saying that, is I don't know what the wind was at the time. I don't know how strong the wind was, and we all know, I'm sure, Joe Judge was fully aware of that. With that said, though, you're up. You have Kyle Allen against you. Your defense is playing relatively well at the time, and there's a whole half of football left. That's one thing that I'll say, I guess, I don't want to stick up for him because I kind of tend to lean towards what you're saying. I would like a little bit more aggression. But at that point of the game, 
where you have a whole half of football and the offense of the opposing team is not good and you're home and your defense is playing pretty well. I mean, they forced a three and out the next the next possession. I know what you're saying from a philo- uh, philosophical point of view, but I, I'm hoping that with a better team comes more aggression. And we've seen Judge be aggressive too, like the fake field goal that wasn't a touchdown because Cam Fleming couldn't get his ass down on the ground. We've seen some little wrinkles here and there. So I, I don't think he's going to be like an Anthony Lynn. But I, I'm I'm hoping that we see a little bit more of the uh, the aggressive kind of field goal Evan Ingram type of plays in this offense. But I'm not gonna I'm not gonna nail him for this, given the context of the situation. Yeah, there's no doubt. I'm not trying to nail Joe Judge whatsoever in this regard. Nailing is not a thing. It's but for me, it's a concern. Um, I agree. I understand what you're saying. You're punting it back to Kyle Allen, but ultimately. That was the same decision he made against Jared Goff. It was the same decision he made. It, it, ultimately, you're not going to be playing the one and four Washington football team every week. And if you want to be a good football team, you need to have that winning mindset in my mind. And the downside of that decision was what happened, in my opinion. You're getting 18 or 20 yards of field position. That's disastrous. I mean, if it's fourth and eight, that's almost disastrous to me. If it's fourth and two, it's it's an unbelievably bad result. On fourth and eight, maybe you can argue we don't have a team that can get fourth and eight, but even so, 20 yards of field position is almost nothing. It's it's a first down or two. It's really nothing, and, the, and it doesn't do much at all. Um, but on a two-yard situation, on a two-to-go, especially when you have that third and one before that, that's really what builds on it too. And I've seen that happen as well multiple yeah, times. Yeah, I didn't like that play with these fourth and shorts. Yeah, yeah. That was, you, that was you can't get one. into third and one from their thirty-eight, and the end result is they take over first and ten at their twenty. That just, it's just, it's just really bad football. It's a result-based, or I, I get it, result-oriented, but. You got to have some faith to convert a third, fourth, and two. I, I don't know. For but me, this offense, man. I really think it was the worst call of his career uh, so far with the Giants. I, I will go on and say that. It was by far and away, it's an inexplicable decision for me. And I agree with what you're saying in some regards. But ultimately, I just can't, no matter who the quarterback is on the other side of the ball, I just, there's always the chance of ha- what happened happening 20 yards of field position. And that's, it's nothing. It's, it's tough for me, man. I am like like uh like we discussed earlier too. I'm sure they wanted Riley Dixon to punt it yeah. much better than he ended up doing, which is pretty uncharacteristic of him because he's one of the better punters in the National Football League. But yeah, I mean 20 there's no arguing that only gaining a net 20 yards for your defense that sucks. But luckily the defense stepped up yeah. in that situation. It could have been disastrous if they did like not. Like it was versus the Rams. Like it was versus the Rams. I mean, that was on the bus. That's the, that's kind of the whole point for me with this. It's it wasn't this time but over time, I think it's a it's a negative EV decision. So hopefully he doesn't do it every game. Yeah, it's all about contextual football, three-phase football, and they were trying to rely on their special teams, rely on their defense to bail out the weakest part of their team, which is their offense. Sure, but uh, again, no offense, I don't think. It, I, I just don't think there's enough context to suggest Jones can't get that fourth and short because he has too many times, especially this game. You're 7-11 on third downs. So it just, I don't know. It's okay. I get it. We'll move on from it. I just, for me, that's the one reason why I'm probably not sold on Judge. I don't mind any of the other stuff. I don't mind the hard practices. I don't mind the way this team's playing good football for him. Um, But ultimately, if he is a conservative style coach that's playing more so not to lose than to win, I don't ultimately think he'll be here very long. So we'll see what happens there. But hopefully that changes and hopefully as the roster improves, we hope. It's hard to imagine this roster won't improve moving forward because Really, looking at it from when Gettleman took over to now, I actually think it's a worse roster, which is just amazing in three classes where you have top six pick. And it just goes to show that there should really be no argument for Gettleman, unfortunately. And as you guys know, listeners of this podcast, I'm not an anti-Gettleman guy. You may think that now, but 
I was pro Gettleman for a while, and so was Nick. We were both liked his early stuff. Um, and he had a really good free agent class, good job, but it's all about the draft, and he's not doing well there right now. And, of course, they still have a season to develop there, but we'll see what happens. But let's talk about some players in this game. Let's talk about Daniel Jones because he ended the game only 12 of 19 for 112 yards. I don't think that was at fault for him. The Giants, it was a weird game where the Giants only had six possessions. Um, and like you said, they really just don't have many options in that passing game, unfortunately. And when you combine the lack of talent at the skill positions with the offensive line that's still developing and a system that's really just designed to get to the sticks, it makes it really hard, in my opinion, for a quarterback to have success. But even in that regard, he still had a high completion rate, had a couple big chunk plays, and then ran the ball for 74 yards on seven carries, which was leading the team again. He's their leading rusher. It's not every week, but it's another week where he's their leading rusher, which is obviously not a good sign long-term, but it is a good sign in the sense that Jones has this part to his game. I really feel like Jones has another tool in his tool set here. I watch Jones, and I think about, and I want to get your take on Jones in this game, and I want to get your take on this take, too. I watch Jones. I watch some other quarterbacks in the NFL, and I think for me, Jones, I used to think his ceiling would be a Matt Ryan type. Now I kind of feel like his ceiling, and this is not a bad thing. This is a damn good thing if you watch this guy play football over the past two years, is Ryan Tannehill. I really like what I've seen from Tannehill. Tannehill's a guy who they ruled out. They said he's terrible. They was, and, and then the minute he goes to a decent situation with, uh, sorry, a good situation, a really good situation, he becomes a quarterback that with time can make a lot of plays with both his legs and arms. And I really feel like Daniel Jones is that quarterback. We haven't gotten a chance to see it often because he doesn't have a lot of time. But if he did have a lot of time in the pocket, I feel like teams would have to do different things against him, like blitz him. And I think he's a really good quarterback against the blitz. So then they would kind of be exposed defenses. Right now, they can do a lot of the same thing against Jones because of the reasons we've discussed. So with all that in mind, I want to hear your take on that, but also your take on how Daniel Jones played today. I think you can draw parallels. I think it's fair to draw parallels between Ryan Tannehill and Daniel Jones. Obviously, Daniel Jones will need to progress a lot more. Took Tannehill quite a while, but yep. Tannehill was also under the the evil regime of Adam Gase coached team, like Sam Darnold is learning about right now. But I thought, in terms of this game, Daniel Jones played pretty well. He wasn't asked to do all that much. He made the most of a 49-yard run. He was the leading rusher, like you already said, and he only had to drop back 19 times. Yeah. And he completed 12 of them. was sacked the one time by Ryan Kerrigan, which was in the first quarter when Cam Fleming got beat inside by Ryan Kerrigan. So Chase Young, Montez Sweat, very good against the run, it seemed like, but weren't as big of a deal when it, in terms of rushing the passer. And I also think that's because of the incredibly uber-conservative play calling that Jason Garrett had, which was by design, as we've already talked about on this podcast, but what he was asked to do was good. The interception, look, he's trying to throw it out of the back of the end zone there. He didn't put enough on it. I don't think it was an interception, but he still shouldn't put it anywhere near play in that kind of situation. And that was also, they were trying to bring Caden Smith from the backside of the formation to kind of pick up the the guy off the edge. What is that? I think it was. That play really confuses me. You really think that Caden Smith can come from the backside and take a free blitzer by the time that that play needs to develop? Like, it's too quick of a play. It's too quick of a drop for that to work, in my opinion. Yeah, I think on that play, it was a play action, if I'm not mistaken. You can't do play action and have someone come around, a tight end come around the formation and be expected to pick up a free blitzer. It's insanity. They were trying to sell the run with Caden Smith doing this. So you're hoping he's crashing the D end, I guess. And I'm trying to see if Matt Parrott missed up on that play. We're probably going to have to wait for the all 22. I don't think he did. But it it could be a communication error. It could be a communication error between Parrott and Will Hernandez on that one specific play. 
because Parrot, I think it is, to be honest. I yeah. think I think Matt Parrot, looking at this play on my computer, Matt Parrot blocks down with Will Hernandez, right. which I do not think you're supposed to do. You're not covered. You have somebody who is shaded to your outside. That's your guy. And so Smith's basically Kane's, essentially is just supposed to be chipping, and no, instead he's— Caden Smith's supposed to be just running into the flat. Right, running okay. into the flat man coverage. Instead, he has to block on that and play. Unblocked, yeah. So that, right. that was a mistake of a rookie third round pick. And that's kind of how all this stuff ends up spiraling downward. Obviously, Manning, the protection, or Manning, wow, Daniel Jones, the protection seemed like it would have been set up. It's not like Washington did anything exotic with the way they, they rushed the pass, or at least it didn't look like from the broadcast version. It was just Matt Parrott blocking down on a guy who was lined up as a three-tech when he really didn't have to. And Will Hernandez, you could tell on the play, is totally shocked by the fact that Parrott did that. So that's just a really bad mistake by somebody who's kind of playing because Andrew Thomas missed a meeting, but also low-key because Andrew Thomas has not been good. Yeah, I don't know. We'll have to wait to see how that one unfolds with the Thomas thing. They said it's because he missed a meeting. He owned up to it after the game and said that was the case. But then Pert got another series in the third quarter, which we're talking about right now towards the end of the third. So it's like, I get if the meeting thing happened. The whole thing was kind of weird because Pert started the game. That makes sense with the whole meeting thing. But then he comes back in the game after Thomas um, didn't execute that third and one block that led to the discuss the, the situation we just discussed before where the Giants were then forced to or not forced they made the decision to punt on fourth and two so I ultimately think he was kind of rebenched for play it's hard to know I don't know what's going on with that situation um only thing we do know is that Thomas is it's another game we can't chalk up as anything but bad unfortunately and we'll wait to see the all 22 because there could be good stuff in that in in Thomas's reps but the rep on the third the, the rep on the missed run block play was just terrible um, at least from the from the broadcast, it like he just got beat yeah, inside. Yeah, he just got beat inside. At all. The play just... was completely blown up because of it. Um, but I want to talk about Jones a little bit because, like you said, he didn't. He only shot back 19 times. Uh, so there's not too much of a sample size. But there were some really big time throws he made. The first one we talked about already, but it shouldn't be undersold because his ability to drop that ball over the top to Darius Slayton in the perfect spot and his ability to really just make you pay when you blitz Daniel Jones. He had made him pay in his first game ever against the Bucks. He did it a lot under Shermer, and he's going to do it a lot in his career for as long as he plays with the New York Giants because he's a really good quarterback at when he's when he when defenses send extra blitzers it's really him at his best he sees man very well and he has really good touch over the top and his arm talent is there i mean i'm going to talk about another play in a second where i loved what he flashed from an arm talent standpoint but ultimately this is why you would get excited about daniel jones and when i bring up the ryan Tannehill point earlier it's just to say that people counted out Tannehill despite the fact that he had a lot of the same traits that Jones has and that he did a lot of things well that Jones had because he never played with anything around him. It's very similar. I know he doesn't have Adam Gase Daniel Jones, <laughs> and I'm not going to compare Adam Gase to Jason Garrett, though uh, I'm not going to give Garrett too much more props than that. But just from a personnel standpoint around him, he doesn't have Derrick Henry. He doesn't have that Titans offensive line. He doesn't have A.J. Brown, and he doesn't have a system where he gets a lot of time, most of his dropbacks, which is what Tannehill gets. They get to use a lot of great play action where he has all day back there and he can do what jones and what jones can do as well really well when he has time put the football in the right spot with excellent upper body mechanics and throwing mechanics ball placement and touch that's jones's game he displayed it on that play to slayton he displayed it on the first throw to ingram there was a third and five play where he threw the ball with unbelievable touch to Devontae freeman for the first down that was one or no i'm sorry it was Deion Deion lewis Lewis, for the first down towards the left half 
that was arm talent. You look at that play, you do not see a lot of quarterbacks that end up don't making it in the NFL, having the ability to throw that ball. That's real arm talent right there. And of course, we haven't seen too many of the, there weren't too many more plays that we can point to. There was a deep end, I believe it was to Slayton. Again, in the ultimately, all he has out there really is Slayton. I mean, unfortunately, CJ Board, we know that what happened there. God, God forbid anything's bad there. I hope he's okay. But, you know, you got a washed Golden Tate out there for the most part, unfortunately. And I'm going to take my crow for that one because I thought that was an excellent signing by Gettleman. I thought he, at the and even last year, it looked like a great signing. He was great last year. I don't know what's going on with Tate. I think mentally he's checked out. That's my just guess. Don't quote me on that. I'm not basing it off of reading anything or hearing anything. I know when he got to New York, he said, I don't want to play for a loser. I didn't sign here to lose. And this is just what they are. They're a one in five team. So I ultimately think he's a little bit checked out. But the point is, it's not like he has too many players to make these big throws to. But when he has time or when you blitz him, he tends to make good plays. I really believe that with Daniel Jones. And it's a really good sign moving forward. So those were the three passes that stood out to me the most. Um, and obviously, like you said, a small sample size. But I, I, I came away from this game plus grades for Jones. Very impressed from the broadcast angle. Yeah, I'm actually uh, excited to see that all 22, as we always are, because last week we saw he left a couple plays on the field. He did the week before. We always kind of see. We, we nitpick a little mm-hmm. bit, but there are some times where we see Daniel Jones leave some plays on the field. I'm intrigued to see if he did on this one specific uh, game against the Washington football team, but hey, man, 19 times he dropped back. 112 yards, one touchdown, one pick, 74 yards on the ground. That's yeah. what I want to see. Now, we one thing I'll say about that, though, is I did not like that one hit he took. He takes a lot of big hits. He takes a lot of big And I'm not talking about the, the roughing one where he's slated. No, no I'm talking about the one where right lands his right shoulder. And yeah. when you keep leaning that right shoulder and your like throwing that. shoulder, it's going to be one time he's going to get up, and it's not going to be good. You're going to get what Sam Darnold had. Yeah. Now, that's not because you ran into somebody. It's because he got slammed, but you're going to hurt your AC joint. Yeah. You're not going to be able to throw the football. I know. It's it, He takes a lot of big hits. I'm gonna see Colt McCoy out there. And it doesn't he, seem he like get it, down it doesn't seem like they're coaching that out of him really, yet. No. Um, you know, you haven't heard much about that from Judge or Garrett. So ultimately, I'm not sure what's going on there and why they're allowing him to take these big hits. But I agree with you. He take a few less yards and let's, get down. Let's summon the beat reporters. Summon <laughs> the beat reporters to go out there and ask Coach Judge and Hey, can can we get Daniel Jones to slide like a yard before so he doesn't get murdered by some safety with momentum? Yeah. I mean, ultimately, I agree with you 100% on that. I want to point out one thing more on the offense before we move on. Uh, it was interesting. Austin Mack played, and I, I was actually excited to have him out there because this was a guy that yeah. we liked as a UDFA. And he's big out there. He almost, almost looks like a, like a, like an Ingram-type tight end. And they had one design play for him. <laughs> it didn't really work. And it kind of that was it for him. Uh, I want to see how many snaps he had, his routes. I want to kind of watch if he could create any separation. He's someone I'm a little bit more excited about than like a CJ Board or even some somehow like a Golden Tate at this point. So I want to see if there's anything there because they really, really need some kind of spark at the skill position right now. They're ailing, especially if Slayton's going to be playing hurt or or not suiting up for this Thursday, which is certainly a possibility on a short week. They need someone to step up in the skill positions. Just one or two players, but certainly one. Sterling Shepard practiced a little bit last yeah. week, so I didn't expect him to be out there week six. But the thought, maybe if he's further enough along, he'll get activated on Monday or Tuesday, and he would be available for Thursday. I think that might even be a little bit. Like I would say that's like a 40-60 chance. Like I'm not betting on the majority. Yeah, right. It's a possibility, though. But I do feel like after the Thursday night football game, once we go into week eight, he may be available for that, which is yeah. which is 
which is good. I mean, Sterling Shepard, Sterling Shepard. He's not, you know, you know, DeAndre Hopkins. No one's saying that, but I think he could be very valuable to Daniel Jones. Very valuable to on third downs. Very valuable executing some of these route concepts that some of these other receivers aren't as crisp. So I, I, I think Sterling Shepard, when health, fully healthy, if he can come back that's fully the thing. healthy, that's the thing, yeah. is the most underrated player on this roster. I think people don't realize. And you could talk to Matt Harmon, uh, the creator of Reception Perception, who's a big time Sterling Shepard fan. And just in case you don't know, Matt Harmon, old buddy of mine, we started in the fantasy industry like eight years ago. And he created something called Reception Perception, where literally he charts the routes of every single receiver um, and gives them success rates versus man and zone coverage, depending on the film and he has sterling shepherd is one of those guys who consistently creates separation and it's what you if you ask me and nick will tell you the same thing watching his film over the last however many years of the new york giants he's been their best route runner nick turchin said he was a better route runner than odell beckham jr he said that he's on you can listen back to a podcast i don't know exactly which one it is hit him up on twitter he'll tell you that he said that in 2018 i believe it was or it was either 20 it was the last year of odell i believe it was 2018 um he called him a better route runner on film than odell beckham jr and i i mean that, that could be the case. Like, Sterling Shepard gets open. He creates separation. He's going to be a massive addition for this offense, if healthy. So I agree with you there. Before we move on from the offense, I want to talk to you about one player, and it kind of leads me to a question I'll then ask you. I think when we watch Nick Gates on the All-22, it's never, like, as rosy as it seemed on the broadcast. But he is a guy who has one or two or three or sometimes a few more reps every game that are nasty, that are awesome, that really make you think he has talent and upside. My question for you is, if that's the case and you're evaluating a player who flashes at times on the offensive line but overall body of work has a lot of inconsistency, is that someone you believe they can build out going forward? I feel like it's somebody that you try to work on but it's someone you try to upgrade on. Because you need to be consistent. So you still want to upgrade, yeah. Yes. You yes. don't. You don't think the flashes can lead to more consistency. It's more. I think you evaluate week by week, but you want the, the main things on an offensive line is consistency, continuity. So you want both of those C's, right? right. And continuity that's still up in the air we saw last year there was not a lot of continuity on how hunter's offensive line this year the offensive line is not good i'm not sure how much of it is a continuity issue i think it's just a liability at the tackle position more so than the offensive line not knowing their assignments just from what we've seen through the all 22 so nick gates i feel like he's played a lot better than he did in week one pittsburgh was a disaster but outside of that, he's kind of come along. There's a couple reps where he gets tossed on the ground. I think there was one with yes. Deron Payne where Deron Payne just throws him aside. So I think he'll always be somebody that we're, as Giants fans, looking to improve upon. But I like to have him <clears throat> excuse me, on the roster yeah. because he is a swing player who can play multiple positions. Yeah, and when he comes in and he plays them, he gives you a few awesome reps. And like you said, he still gets overpowered at the point of attack far probably too, more too often than you would want from a starting center. I'm probably with you long term. Maybe this isn't, we're not time to get excited about him as a building block in that sense. But as a reserve swing guy who can play a lot of positions, this is what you want. You want a line that has depth. I mean, the Chiefs had to turn over their starting right guard and they haven't skipped a beat because they had Remmers, who's doing a really good job for them at right guard. And you see that with the Patriots, who have had to turn over multiple starters this season on the offensive line. And until today, where they finally crapped out on offense because their offensive line was missing, like, three starters. Shaq Mason was placed on COVID and, like, two other centers out. And they missed, like, one other. And then finally it fell. But even with one or two injuries there, they had the depth. And I think that's a good sign on on Nick Gates' part. Um, And I'll say this. I've seen more from him than I ever saw from Spencer Pulley. 
Yes. Yeah. More positives, I mean, yeah. I, I totally agree with that. And it's also that mean grit factor that you were mm-hmm. just talking about. He's gritty, man. Yep. That competitive toughness is very, very high with Nick Gates. And that's something that I feel like <clears throat> you want to establish on the offensive line. You want yes. to be tough. You want to instill that. You want to, people to feed off of that in your locker room. And Nick Gates does that. And we saw after the Rams game, he was fighting with Jalen Ramsey and stuff, sticking up for Golden Tate. I mean, yeah, you, <clears throat> you don't want unnecessary penalties or anything like that. I mean, he hasn't gotten any yet. So. <laughs> but but you want somebody who's going to stick up for his teammates. Every time Daniel Jones gets hit, there's number 65 with his long hair right in that person's face. And I want to see that. Yeah, I, I, I'm with you. All right, let's turn it over to the defense side of the ball before we wrap up. And just some quick takeaways there. We've talked James Bradbury. We've talked Blake Martinez. Um, I want to talk a little bit about a few other players with you. Let's start with Leonard Williams, who I thought had a really good game. And again, he's a very consistent player. My question for you with Leonard Williams is, do you agree with that assessment of him in this game and then overall? And do you believe, based on that, that they should make him one of the, because that's what he's going to want, one of the highest paid defensive and defensive linemen in the NFL? Making him one of the highest paid defensive linemen is something I'm still a little tentative on. While I say that, I also acknowledge that I feel like he's a very underrated player. I feel like a lot of people don't, acknowledge a lot of the great things that he does on the defensive line in terms of eating up double teams in terms of splitting double teams and making tackles behind the line of scrimmage at the line of scrimmage maybe a yard from the line of scrimmage there was a sequence in this game where I think he sacked Kyle Allen and then he made a great play on the edge and it was just like the guys were in the booth were just gushing about Leonard Williams but he does that a lot and we watch the all 22 and we see Leonard Williams always making plays or always being a reason why a running back has to cut back towards other Giants defenders because he doesn't really get out of position. He's very fundamentally sound. He maintains his gap discipline, and he's very long. He's very strong, and he's very active with his hands, and he has a very, very strong punch as well. So I'm a big Leonard Williams guy. Paying him the most at the position is something that I feel like could be a, could be an interesting thing during the offseason. I can't sign off on that quite yet. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. It's going to be an interesting thought process and debate because the Giants have paid they have been uh mistaken in the past by letting some of these guys go like Linville Joseph when they let him go different kind of player in some regard but pretty similar in my opinion to Leonard Williams in the sense that neither is the edge one-on-one guy that can beat a tackle on an island and they paid they paid gratefully for that they regretted that decision ultimately but when you put it in the context of what's coming up for the Giants Dalvin Tomlinson is also going to have to get paid and are you going to pay both of those guys and at the same time, you're just letting a talent, in my opinion, like B.J. Hill, just ride the pine. And to me, ultimately, I think if you're going to make that contract offer to Williams, it has to be that you don't see a Bradbury type on the market or a Martinez type because they were able to get Martinez and Bradbury, who are now two keys to this defense, arguably the two most important players on the defense right now. You believe that. I believe that. I think most people believe that. I think Patrick Graham believes that. And so if you're able to get a young player like Martinez or Bradbury coming off their rookie contract in the same age range as Leonard Williams, I think ultimately the move will be to re-sign Tomlinson, to let Williams hit free agency, to get a comp pick back for that maybe. But if not, to sign a player at a position of more scarcity, not only for the Giants, but across the NFL, of maybe greater priority in the sense that 
it makes a bigger difference on wins and losses. Now, do I think there's going to be a pass rusher like that, a one-on-one guy? No, there never is. I mean, you could have got Clowney, but he's not somebody you want to give a big deal to. You had to trade for the dude from the Jaguars, who I don't even think is that good anyway. He doesn't play the run. But if there's another island corner dude, like, screw it. I'll pay another island corner. I don't care if you're putting a lot of money at corner. Corner is so important. If they had another James Bradbury on this roster, this defense would be sick. Or if you get another inside backer to throw next to to, to Blake Martinez. I know that inside backers don't play every snap on this defense, but they could, especially if it's somebody who can cover. And so now you're building. You're doing different things. Or, hey, how about this? How about you see a right tackle on the market? I mean, I, we, we don't want to go there quickly just yet because we want to have some faith in Thomas and Pert. But there are positions that can be upgraded. And I think ultimately, B.J. Hill can play football in this league. He doesn't get a lot of opportunities, but he makes the most of them. So if they go into next season with B.J. Hill, a re-signed Dalvin Tomlinson and Dexter Lawrence, and they let Leonard Williams go, ultimately, I think it's a positive EV move, even though I do like Leonard Williams as a player. Um, but this is, the, this is the position that Dave Gettleman has put them in. They have all their talent at one position. And unfortunately, it's not one of the most important positions in the sense that one it's not it's the least scarce position in the nfl pretty much besides running back and two it's not making a huge difference anymore in today's nfl on wins and losses the one thing it does do and the fact that they have such a the gluttonous at defensive tackle to be honest keeps in a lot of these players it keeps them fresh but these guys are incredibly strong at the point of attack Mm -hmm. and it allows the giants to two gap which they will do in a lot of their odd fronts which allows blake martinez and tay crowder and explain what you mean by two so two gap because we haven't gone over yeah so two gapping instead so on defense every player has a run fit every player has a run responsibility so they have a gap responsibility that could be the a gap which is on either side of the center it could be the b gap which is in between the tackle and the guards it could be the c gap which is outside of the tackles it could be the d gap which is outside of the tight ends when you two gap that means you are responsible say if you're a nose tackle which means you're directly over the top of the center when you two gap you're responsible for both a gaps so that means your linebackers don't necessarily need to be responsible for a gap per se they can just play the ball mm-hmm. see ball get ball blake martinez is very good in those kind of situations. So that means you can put Dexter Lawrence or Dalvin Tomlinson as a nose. He can stand up that center. He can extend his arms, get his hands inside, leverage himself into a position to where the running back hits the left A-gap. He can close that, constrict that, narrow that, make the tackle. If he goes into the right A-gap, he could do the same thing. Now, Dalvin Tomlinson, Dexter Lawrence, and even Leonard Williams can do all of those things. So having those that rotation, is it's not just to keep them fresh. It's also because... Patrick Graham will do that from time to time, which does allow these linebackers a lot more freedom, and that's one reason why this run defense is very solid. Because when you're a two-gapper, when you're a two-gapping defensive lineman, it's not necessarily about that upfield penetration against the run. It's about just holding your point of attack and allowing your linebackers yeah. to make plays. Yeah, I think that's an excellent point that you brought up. It gives them a lot. It gives it maybe a big part of the reason why we like a lot of what we've seen from Patrick Graham because he has the ability to have players who can do that. Now the question would be then. How hard is it to find those type of players? Because it seems like the Patriots and the Ravens have done a good job landing them without using high picks. And the other question would be, can B.J. Hill do that job? Because if B.J. Hill can, it changes a little bit. I'm not saying he can. Yeah, I question it a little bit because every time we see B.J. Hill up there, what he's is he doing? Penetrating, he's yeah. penetrating. He's just shooting. He's a penetrator. He's just shooting gaps. Yeah, agreed. Yeah. Yeah. Totally agree. Um, so yeah, it's definitely a great point to make, and it's been a big reason why. But speaking of linebackers having freedom, I think at this point we can safely say Tay Crowder is a better linebacker than Devontae Downs, and Tay Crowder has made a bigger difference in 
a limited sample size than Tate Crowder, I mean, I'm sorry, than Devontae Downs made at any point uh, during his Giants career. So Crowder, interesting prospect, obviously late pick, but big touchdown today, had 10th, second most tackles on the team. I like him. Yeah, he, like was, he was everywhere too. Yeah. And he actually showed a couple plays where he was running from like middle of the field and kind of cutting off the angle of the running back and kind of getting to him to force him out of bounds. And it was like, okay, he has some speed. He has some athletic ability to do those kind of things. We also saw Carter Coughlin and Cam Brown mm-hmm. get on the field, which is something that we haven't really seen that much. Happy to see that. One thing I'll say about Cam Brown, and I noticed this on special teams, I know there's been a couple like just whispers around Giants Twitter about this, but Cam Brown is a very good special teams player. He's a very good special teams and that, player. You know on a Joe Judge team, if you're a good special teams player, you're still going to start to earn some defensive reps. Yes, and it's so subtle. And I, I'm actually going to watch like the special teams like reps like in depth whenever we get them on the All-22 because they're very, very subtle things that he does that can alter the play or stop somebody from you know breaking off a punt return for like 20 yards. He's, he's a good player. Now, can he translate that to the defense? That's a big question mark. His build is very, very just... Uh, very different that's not a typical build of a yeah when we saw him out there we were like "Ooh!" like we were not expecting to see him out there and he didn't look it was almost like we didn't know who he was almost we (laughs) knew we knew it was cam brown because we remembered him from obviously from training camp and everything like that but it was like is that cam brown is that really him he did i didn't expect his build to look like that translating from penn state he's just he's so long yeah he's He's very weird like you don't see a player at that position have his build very often we also saw nate ebner out there (laughs) that we don't want to see nah that was a product of of obviously the depth that safety is starting to really thin out here jabril peppers is another one who played through injury this game he was the Pepper situation. Yeah. I mean, this guy's been injured his whole Giants career at this point. Um, I like him when he's out there too. He's like really more impactful than people realize. He's not what I thought he would be. I think at this point, at least, I'm I'm really I'm almost ready to say that I had such high expectations for him coming yeah. from Cleveland because he had such a good year. The year before he got traded to the Giants, he it looked like he was breaking out as a two way safety. Um, and he's made some plays in coverage with the Giants. Obviously, the Haskins pick six comes to mind, but it's not. You know, it's not often, and he's not really doing it much single high stuff. So I'm interested to see the snap count for this defense because yeah, these guys, how they were played, and I know like a lot of them were being rotated in. There was like a safety rotation going on. I'm not sure how many plays Julian Love played, right. but it definitely seemed like he was out there a lot more. He got beat on the Logan Thomas touchdown. That's a mm. really nice pass by Kyle Allen, if we're going to yeah. be honest. And Logan, had a good catch. Logan Thomas is a big guy, man. Yeah, he body, he got his body yeah. in a good position, and and he dragged his feet. I, I'm not going to take too much from Love on that one. But I do want to watch Love, though. Yeah. Yeah. Just to see what's going on there. And also, yeah, why was it just injury? Was the reason why right. we saw so much Adrian Colbert last year, uh, week? Because Colbert didn't look too bad on the ultimate. No, Colbert either. doesn't look bad, man. Colbert's a weird find. He might be a good find for the Giants, Colbert. I know he's injured now. Yeah. Um, hopefully that's not too serious. But Colbert is a guy you wouldn't expect. He's kind of, it's Colbert and Ryan Lewis are guys that you would be like, how are the in, in past seasons when the Giants used to find these guys and put them on the defense? <laughs> it was like a total disaster when they, when they started putting these guys in. But now it's like little hidden gems the Giants seem to be finding that are able to play in Patrick Graham's system. Coaching. Coaching's huge. It is coaching. Man, and Ryan it really is. Got to give credit to Ryan Lewis. He was in on a couple tackles, physical. He also had that one yep. pass defense where he jumped up and knocked yeah, the ball away by the end zone. There's nothing bad to really say there. Yeah, and obviously we're not talking about a Bramberry type, but I mean, no, of course, for what he's at, being asked to do, I like it. So, anyone else in the defense you wanted to touch on, or anything special teams or overall, anything more that you want to, any quick takeaways or anything that came to your mind watching this football game? No, I think I'm good, man. Just ready for the uh, good old. 
A-double-L-2-2. Yeah, man. I can't wait to do it. And hopefully for everyone listening into this podcast, you enjoyed our quick reactions. You enjoyed the show. Um, Last week, we also did the All-22 and an interview with Fred Smoot. That was fun. We're going to try to keep doing interviews with former players and hopefully coaches to try to really break down this game and this team and this roster a little further in depth for you guys give a little bit of a different feel uh different energy to the podcast so hopefully you enjoyed that if you did enjoy it let us know um we love your feedback on twitter we love everything you've said i know some of the feedback has been uh my mic has been seemed to be a little bit blown out some of you have been saying so we're working on that we hope we think we might have fixed that for this pod hopefully we did um otherwise as usual uh, like we always say, please do us a favor and help us grow this podcast. You really can play a big role in that. All you have to do is follow us on Instagram at mybigbluebanter, where Sean runs our Instagram and he does a hell of a job, man. Sean is putting up content all like multiple days per week, cut up clips, quotes from the show. So anything you want there, engage with us there. I'm going to try to get more active in that as well and replying to you on that and interacting with you there but as always we'll we'll obviously always talk on twitter and then the other way to help us grow the show besides just telling your friends and family and anyone else who likes the giants in the twitter sphere or you know in your walk of life is just to rate and review us on itunes where you know a five-star rating and a review will go a really long way as long as uh, uh, in addition to your downloads so again thank you for to everyone who listens to this podcast who sticks with us through all of these losing seasons a team that's one in five right now and you're still so active still so engaged still so interested and it makes it awesome for us this would not be fun without you guys i can tell you that straight up i had a conversation with nick about this earlier and it's the damn truth you guys are the reason why i want to keep doing this during a season where the team is one in five and it says a lot about the interactions and the community and i just can't wait until this team gets good again because it's going to be so much fun to do this podcast when they're good so keep an eye on the big blue banter we're going to keep trying to do more interviews with players more different kinds of shows and eventually we'll start to turn the page to the future of this franchise so good things ahead thanks again and go giants the wait is finally over football is back You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at BetOnline. BetOnline is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, BetOnline gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day every day. Head to Bet Online today and take advantage of all the great sign up bonuses. Don't forget to use promo code BLUEWIRE, all one word, at betonline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts.